Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Vet Tech Tap Room. Um, this is not a tap room. Oh, gosh, you're right, Dave. Well, you're going to have to edit this first couple <laughs> seconds out. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. Um, please ask about our immersive turtle experience and educational program that was developed and is curated by today's guest. We'd like to thank all of our uh, caffeinators for their continued support, uh, purchasing our merchandise and continuing to represent us and um, to our Patreons. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really, really appreciate it. Um, if you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, if this is your first time here, head over to vettechcafe.com for all of the info about Dave and I and why we do this podcast. Um, you can find us on social media, um, kind of all the common platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel that we do post the video for our Taproom episodes on, so be sure to check all of those out like them, subscribe to them. Um, again, we really appreciate you following along and, and for your support. Dave, how's it going out there? What's new? What's on your mind? Uh, things are good out here. It's actually nice and warm today. It was 75 degrees here. And I, I talked to some people, um, you know, I'm doing the vet show in Chicago in a couple of months here and I was talking to them and they got snow today. And I was like, well, guess what? It's 75 here. And they're like, oh, <laughs> that's terrible. Um, but things are good here. Um, we are, we are plugging away. Planning for our my busy spring, um, getting ready to meet up with you out in Arizona. Gosh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks now. Um, yeah. By the time this by the time this episode uploads, we'll be back. <laughs> I think we'll already be home. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, we'll already be home. Um, but things <laughs> things are good. How how are things going out there? Good, good. Um, you know, as it's been actually the last couple episodes we recorded, lots of rain here. Um, more rain coming tonight. We had kind of a generational storm for us here in Southern California the past few days. Mountain resorts that may be a good storm for them is is six to 12 inches of snow have had six feet um, wow. in two or three days time. Um, so lots of rain, lots of water, which is really good because as we all know, the West Coast is in a major drought. But, um, but yeah, it's a lot kind of all at once and more coming tonight, I think tomorrow too. So I love it, of course. Um, you know the huge you weather and yeah, the huge weather nerd in me. So um, it's been a lot of fun. But we're also working on a um, home loan application, so that's kind of weird being an adult all of a sudden in that realm. So yeah, kind of a kind of a lot going on here, and and uh, we'll kind of update that as as time goes by the next couple yeah. of months. So yeah, yeah, lots lots going on, lots of fun. Um, I hope we had a great time in Arizona while we were there for <laughs> spring training, and if we got to meet a few of you, that yeah, thing right? that happened. Oh, that was crazy, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so if we got to meet a few of you Arizona caffeinators, we're we're super glad you took some time out to to say hello and. Um, we're going to be doing a tap room from there, so we'll we'll definitely talk more about that while we're there. But um, we've got a really cool episode coming to you guys today. Um, this, you know, we talk about Dave. I think almost every intro we do, we talk about people reaching out with ideas for guests for a show, whether it's somebody that they know they want us to talk to, or an idea, or a guest, you know, kind of wanting to be on the show to talk about something in particular. And this was one of those episodes. Um, yeah. This episode was suggested to us by Julie Antonellis, um, who's another BTS in emergency and critical care. So today we have um, Anthony Pierleoni coming by the Vet Tech Cafe. Um, he has years of experience working in management for general practice, specialty, and emergency hospitals. In, a bit, in addition to being a hospital manager, he is also a training leader responsible for developing and certifying new trainers who welcome new hires and foster a sense of belonging and pride through the sharing of important culture. 
He specializes in training around effective communication tools. The bulk of his management experience is in the field of social work. We're going to talk about some of that today, um, helping some of the more marginalized members of our society. And he was awarded the John Avalone, I hope I say that right, award for inspiring growth and new clients. Um, his experience working with people has proven quite useful, of course, in the veterinary field and uh, specialized in program development and non-traditional service delivery in his time in the nonprofit sector. Um, his passion, however, is animals, particularly turtles. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, for years, he worked with the veterinary community and helped develop and operate the Turtle Room, a nonprofit organization that works to educate the public on the plight of turtles and tortoises, and also to prefer, uh, preserve and conserve them. Um, his book on geo... Geomida, I hope I say that right too, a rare <laughs> genus of Asian turtle, uh, was published in 2016. And in 2017, he was recognized as the Shalonia Personality of the Year by Reptile Report. Um, he's also the host of the podcast. Um, we're going to link that in our show notes and also Turtly Devoted. Um, podcast <laughs> is a show dedicated to reptiles and the people who love them and Turtly Devoted. I love devoted. the puns. I know. I, you can't beat them for sure. Um, Turtly Devoted looks at the relationship between reptile lovers and the people who put up with them. Um, so definitely check him out on Instagram, Facebook. We're going to link those podcasts, his pages, all of that, so you can follow along because it's really cool stuff. Anthony, thank you so much for taking some time to come by the Vet Tech, Tech Cafe today to talk to us about all of that. What can we get you for a cup of coffee? Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. That was awesome. For for coffee, <laughs> I uh, you're, you guys are gonna you guys are gonna hate me. I actually don't drink coffee, but I would love like a gallon of chocolate milk if that's okay. Because I'm a grown I'm a grown up. <laughs> and <laughs> absolutely, like <laughs> we can definitely make that happen. Okay, we've actually had quite a few non yeah, uh, yeah. non coffee drinkers on, so not a problem. Um, if you don't mind, um, take us through your career path because it sounds like you've had a lot of non vet experience mixed in with a lot of vet experience. So, kind of what got you into the field that you're in, some stops along the way, and what you're doing now. Uh, yeah, you know, I I, I wrote about this. I, I have I'm, I'm, there. We go. First couple seconds, and I'm gonna I'm gonna plug it. But I, I have a new book out on on veterinary <laughs> medicine, and and one of the um, one of the chapters there kind of talks about my transition into veterinary medicine and kind of all the stops along the way. It's been a really odd journey in a lot of ways, but at the same time. Like I'm very proud of it and it's very much me. And I think part of it is just kind of yeah. being a jack of all trades. And I think that's a term in our society now that has become kind of almost like sarcastic or almost like a negative, you know, like, oh, jack of all trades, you know, master of none. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, you know, if you look at the the origins of that phrase, it, it actually there, there's actually more to it than that. And it, it means it's oftentimes better than a master of one. So like being a a jack of all trades is actually a great thing if you're a well-rounded person. Like I think we have a technician at our hospital who does everything, you know, he's knowledgeable about IT. He can work in every single department in the hospital. I mean, what a valuable person to have on your team, somebody who can do a lot. So my, my experience was really interesting and, and unique. I started out, I, you know, I played basketball in college and, and I think growing to be really tall saved my life. Um, I was a really bad student and acted out a lot for attention and then grew to be like six foot nine by the time I was like a sophomore in high school and had to duck for doorways. And then I didn't have to act out anymore uh, and went to college because I was recruited to play basketball. I never thought I would go to college. Didn't know what to major in. I got a degree in fine arts and then um, didn't know what to do after school, knew that I didn't want to be like the the experience of, of going to school for fine arts taught me that I didn't want to be a starving artist. <laughs> I wanted to have a job and, and have some, you know, something steady in my life after spending my my childhood with with not so steady of situations. And uh, but at the same time, I didn't have anyone in my life saying, hey, you know, you really like turtles. You should you should study you know, herpetology or, or, you know, at least go on a science track related to that. So um, I started looking for jobs kind of after that and fell into social work just because it was something where I felt like I could help. I, I really like people a lot. I'm one of the rare people in veterinary medicine who won't say that I like animals more than people. <laughs> I like them equally. 
And uh, <laughs> that was a really wonderful opportunity for me to help people. And, and my biggest thing was always helping them find their why. And that's still something I do today. Uh, I got a little bit perhaps burnt out for lack of a better term in that field. It's, it's, there are a lot of similarities, you know, a historically underpaid group of very uh, um, talented professionals uh, who, who work, who work really hard and, and do a lot of selfless work that is oftentimes overlooked and undervalued. So uh, I found myself wanting a change and there was a, a position for a referral manager and their job basically at a large, it was a hybrid hospital, my first hospital, uh, that was looking for someone to basically be the, the face of the hospital, get out there and, and, you know, visit the referring community and try to keep the relationship strong between the referral community and our hospital. So that was my first uh, foray into veterinary medicine as an actual profession, as, as a career, a part of my career progression. And it was kind of a jump and they had to make a they had to kind of make a, a take a chance on me without really knowing how it would go. And I remember them asking me in my, in my interview, like, how do you do with difficult people or difficult situations? And I'm like, that's all I do is difficult people. So, you know, when the, when the person who's, you know, is like, you know, intoxicated or struggling with mental health, you know, difficulties and, and coming into the hospital and everyone kind of doesn't know what to do. That's like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I know exactly what to do. So uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's fun and it's been different. And I, I've, I've really enjoyed being someone who has a lot of times a different expertise. The challenge in being in leadership and not having the same expertise is I don't know as much as everyone around me. So like I was, I do podcasts all the time about turtles and it's very comfortable for me. But to come on with you guys and talk about vet med, this, this is my first time doing that. And, it, and I was nervous for the first time in probably eight, nine, 10 years, I was nervous to come onto a podcast. So just putting it all out there. <laughs> we're, we're pretty innocuous. You don't have to be afraid of us. We're, we, we're, we hope anyway. Well, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I've listened enough to know that you, you guys are great. But it's just you know, the silly things that we do. And I'd be able to give someone great, yeah. great advice. But can I actually follow that advice myself? in moments such as these. Right, right. For sure, for sure. And, and somebody that is, you know, you're, Jeff, this is probably what our third or fourth guest that has is not a veterinary technician. Yeah, we've had at least a of. few. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, some are doctors, some are social workers, some are, mm -hmm. uh, we had someone from BetterHelp, but you're you're yeah. one of the few, you're, you're in rarefied air of a guest of ours that was not, that's not a veterinary technician. So uh, one of the questions, as you, as you probably know, because you've been listening, uh, that we ask our guests is how do you view the veterinary technician profession? And you probably have a much different perspective of it kind of not really on the outside looking in because you are somewhat on the inside, but what do you see your technicians struggling with? What do you see is great about their profession? And is there anything that we need to do as a, somebody kind of leading and guiding these technicians, is there something different that we should be doing for technicians? I, I mean, be, because of my role, I, I can think of it from a, from a leadership perspective and, and anyone could be a leader, right? The, the, the yeah. TA who's been in the hospital for a week can be a leader and act as a leader and make decisions, you know, uh, in that way. But, but I think for someone whose, whose job, whose, whose number one purpose is, is to provide leadership and to oversee and, and really, I think support, that's, that's our main role is to support everyone. Uh, I, I think really being able to give your team the autonomy. And it's, it's, I think most people want to do it, but I think it's, it's really difficult to put your money where your mouth is. Like, how do you support these brilliant professionals? Because really, like you technicians are brilliant, like, uh, especially in, you know, the emergency and specialty world, not to, not to say anything about the other uh, hospitals, but these, these large hospitals that have so many moving pieces and this really high level of medicine that's being practiced there, there's so much expertise there. And I think that, that these folks, sometimes it's tough for some of them, but they muster up the, the courage to come upstairs or to come to the manager's office and knock on the door and share their feelings. And I think so oftentimes I've seen this happen and I've seen it not happen depending on different hospitals. Uh, so many times their thoughts and, and their ideas just kind of fall on deaf ears. And it's not because we don't care. It's because 
it's just really difficult to support people in those moments when we have 30 different things going on and, and there's so much happening. I, th- I think there's this, this, um, this slippery slope with, with management where you, you end up kind of putting out all the small fires all the time instead of actually being proactive. And I think that proactive piece falls into that, that providing autonomy or empowering our, our technicians to really own what's going on in the hospital. It's not management's job mm-hmm. to run mm-hmm. the hospital. It's just their job to kind of facilitate putting it all together. And that's where I've really enjoyed my role as somebody who doesn't know, because I can just say like, Hey guys, what do you think? Like, you know, you know, better than I do. What do you think? And then I can just kind of support from there. For sure. You know, your answer kind of made me think of something I heard recently. Um, you know, as you might be aware, Dave and I are, are pretty big sports guys. You play basketball in college. So I'm going to take a, some artistic license and assume you are as well. Um, yeah. A couple of NFL sideline reporters, um, Aaron Andrews and Carissa Thompson, they have a, a their own podcast called Calm Down. And I, I, I don't listen to the podcast, but I, I see what they do on social media. And I read or heard a clip recently about the, the new Giants head coach this past year in one of the interviews one of them did with him. And she asked him, Aaron Andrews asked him, what's the biggest change of being, you know, just a regular like assistant coach? versus being the head coach. And his response was when you're the head coach and somebody like a player comes to you with a problem, no matter if you have a hundred other things on your plate that you have to deal with, that is the biggest problem that person has. And they have been thinking about it for weeks and they have been putting off coming to your office for weeks. And that has to be the most important thing on your mind in that moment. And I think like that hit me kind of like a ton of bricks because I, I don't think we ever really think about, I know I've never really been in management. I've always been on the, in the employee side and it's not easy for us to go to management, even if we have a solution like, Hey, I see this happening. What if we did it this way? There's always so many other things going on. And so to kind of hear that side of it, that, you know, you like, when that happens, you have to give it a measure of due diligence and, and like actually give that person the floor for the time being, because that's the biggest thing going on for them. Absolutely. Completely agree. And I think yeah. Yeah. one thing that I really, that I, that I brought from social work over to my work in the veterinary space now is, is the Enneagram, which if you're not familiar with, it, it looks weird. Like there's a whole logo that looks like it's some weird anarchy sign or something. And it's not, it's not like a horoscope or anything like that. It's kind of like Myers-Briggs or the disc, like some of these things that you see with these personality typing systems. And I know a lot of hospitals have brought these things in some, sometimes to train their staff, but I think, I think the main takeaway with that, and that's something that I train on a lot and I, I really love, and I loved it in my work as social, as a social worker. And now even more so because most people will tell you, and I do trainings for new hires who are new to the veterinary world, and we ask them, you know, why'd you get into this field? And they always say, because I love animals more than people. I hear Amy Newfield say that all the time. And it's true. It really is. But then we obviously know, okay, well, then they're in for a rude awakening because now we're going to sit them at the front desk and have them dealing with angry clients all the time. <laughs> Again, especially on the specialty side. But yeah, angry clients and and these these poor folks are it's kind of like baptism by fire. And I think also when we ha- there are a lot of folks who are introverts and then also re- research shows that there's a high level of perfectionistic thinking in vet med and folks really struggle with interpersonal conflict and I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, can I please help with this?" And it's it's to to me it's a very simple concept, but it's it's really made so much more challenging and difficult to navigate because of the challenges and and difficult nature of the profession and the job that you're doing, right? Like I've, I've got to be in a room 10 minutes ago, you know, the, the, the amount of patients that came in, like we don't have the staff for it. Like there's so many things going on that, that are just incredibly challenging to, to deal with. And, and then we also have the interpersonal piece on top of it. And it almost gets worse sometimes when we're not busy, but it's, it's a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, and, and you, you kind of mentioned in there, and I think it's a great segue into our next question. You know, I wanted to ask your, your work in, in social work. Um, so how has that kind of um, shaped your management style or, you know, how you maybe integrate new staff uh, once they've been hired on? You know, I'm, I'm very curious about that with your background because I think it's probably going to be very unique compared to what a lot of is out there. I think a lot of, a lot of social work is, is kind of common sense in that, like if you go to a therapist, you're not necessarily always surprised by what they say to you, right? Like they, they, they say something back and it kind of just makes sense. Like it's okay. This, you know, like, like I find myself saying things all the time that I would say in my previous career. So a, a big one is like, we can only focus on what, what we can control. So like, let's let go of the things that are outside of our control. And I'll find myself talking to people now in my current role and say, I can only talk to you right now about you. And in order for there to be conflict, there has to be two sides who are who are kind of feeding this. It takes two to tango, right? So so if if you can work on how you react when so-and-so does whatever that you think is inappropriate, then we can start to move towards a better solution as opposed to having two sides constantly going back and forth. Those are things that I would talk about with clients in my social work days as well. Uh, and, and then there are things, I think as a leader, sometimes we have to have really difficult conversations uh, as, as technicians or CSRs or doctors, we have to have difficult conversations with clients and with our coworkers a lot. But like an example of one that came up the other day is, is an employee who has poor hygiene. That's a conversation that I would have all the time in my social work days. I specialize in, in co-occurring disorders, which was, which is, um, substance use and mental health struggles. A lot of most people, 80% of our clientele where I worked uh, was co-occurring and, and they, they are usually correlated. And uh, you know, there were things like that. Basically my job was to help people get back into society, whether that's work or, or what have you, um, you know, helping mend some of their relationships and things like that. So uh, anything that they had as goals around that, you know, daily living, that sort of thing, it would be my job to kind of help them come up with goals around that. Just like we do now as leaders, where we sit down with people, we talk about, you know, the review, which should never be a surprise and talk about, okay, what do you want to grow to and how do we get there? So a lot of similarities between leadership in general and social work, where you're just kind of setting setting time-based uh, measurable goals and then trying to reach those goals as a team. And, you know, Jeff and I have had a, a, another social worker on, uh, it's been a couple of years, I think, since mm-hmm. we've had him on. Um, and, you know, just the, talking about this role of social workers in veterinary medicine. And, you know, when we first started talking about that, it seemed like it was something that was rapidly growing, but I, I, I don't think I've seen it get much further than it had. So how do we improve on that? How do we get more social worker uh, mentality into vet med. How do we, how do we make that happen? Is it just a a hiring or? Well, I have an idea. So I I think, so, so I work for a large veterinary corporation and so, so just disclaimer, uh, what I see some, some of those larger hospitals and larger corporations doing is they're hiring in LCSWs who are the, the best of the best. I think, I think having some sort of system that's a little more uh, scalable, like from a scalability standpoint to say like, okay, we're going to have an LCSW stationed at this large hospital, but they're going to oversee a group of maybe case manager type, like bachelor's level, like like bachelor's of social work, as opposed to actual licensed clinicians who are going to sit down with people and just be there to support them. Because I, I think like I'd be... I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I know this sounds weird, but I do think that's what that we're here for. Me... We're here to let you toot your own horn. <laughs> yeah, this is the I'm whole point. Please, I'm just going to go <laughs> <Toot> away. <laughs> I do think that having an ex-social worker on the management team has made a difference in that. Like, like I work alongside my my mentor at this at this point, who is an incredible a leader who has a reputation as being 
like a, a ruthless leader from people who don't really know her. She's, she's an Enneagram type eight, which is the type of person who's just very direct and very transparent, but, but sometimes comes off as being brash. She does an amazing job professionally. She's grown so much to be able to harness that and kind of tone it back a little bit, especially if she knows her audience. Uh, but having me kind of join that so that we can be yin and yang and really support each other and appreciate each other and knowing we are the exact opposite. Like she represents to me what is like a really great shining example of traditional, effective veterinary leadership. And then I'm kind of the social work piece, which is different. And I don't know how effective it would be on its own running a hospital all by itself. Luckily we have a large hospital, so we have a leadership team, but we offset each other so well. And we, we love and appreciate each other for what the other one brings because she does really easily what I don't want to do. And I do really easily what she doesn't want to do. So I think that team and being able to support and appreciate each other is, is really special. Uh, So in, in terms of that scalability piece, just going back to that, I think, Having someone as part of the team in the hospital who's got the time. And when she first reached out to me, I was running a a GP practice for our company. And she reached out to me and said, are you interested? And actually, the first time the position was open, I went for it and I didn't get it. They chose an MBA who ended up not staying for very long. And then they came back to me afterwards and asked if I was still interested. And of course, I was. The rest is history. But I remember telling her, You have no time for BS. You have no time for nonsense. And I'm all BS and I'm all nonsense. Like I want to sit, when someone comes in and says, hey, can we talk? I'm like, yes. How much time do you have? Like, I, of course I want to talk. So yeah, (laughs) uh, I think that, that, that juxtaposition of those two uh, polar opposites really makes a difference, I think too. And, And not to, I mean, not, not to try to compare it, but when you're thinking about, you know, a hospital like you're working at now, that's a large corporate hospital versus maybe a smaller private practice where the management team is not so big. What do you see as differences between like you just doing it by yourself versus having that yin and yang that, that other person to bounce stuff off of? How how does that work either better or, or, or just differently than, than what you were doing in, in just a general practice? I think it all just depends. So this is, this is an interesting thing too, because people will say, okay, Banfield is this from the outside. VCA is that. Blue Pearl is this. Uh, Rare Breed is that. VetCore is this. And really, it's a hospital to hospital situation. Like you can be at a VCA hospital that is crashing and burning, or you can be at a VCA hospital that is incredibly strong, a well-oiled machine. With it, you know a good hospital when you walk into them, right? And Dave, Dave you do relief work like at different hospitals. I'm sure you walk in, you know what those yeah, hospitals yeah. are, and you want to be there. You want to be at a place where people are happy to see you walk in, where people are happy to do the work they're doing, where they're inspired by the cool things that come into an emergency on an emergency floor, for example. Like that's all any of us want, and we deserve that. And I don't. I think from the outside looking in, you could say, okay, this hospital, these hospitals are normally like this. But I, I, it really is hospital to hospital. I think so many times management is a huge part of that. I really do. I hate to, I hate to, as a manager, sit here and blame the managers. But I've been, you know, the first hospital I was at was a hybrid hospital and it was really struggling and I did not know how to fix it. And I remember that feeling and I think to myself all the time, I wish I could go back to that and like, like as me right now and just have another shot at that. I probably would still be unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. But I think that that falling, I won't say failure because because we could fall and get back up that old adage now that's becoming a little cliche, but I still like it. Uh, I think I would I would have loved to have been able to go back to that. And uh, unfortunately, I can't, but I think I'll always carry that experience with me and it, it kind of fuels what I'm doing now and, and, and also helps me appreciate how incredible the, the, the next two hospitals I was able to, to be a manager at have been. It sounds like you have a little bit of a perfectionist uh, side to you as well. That <laughs> how, how long ago was that hospital that you still want to go back and fix it? How long ago was that? It wasn't that long ago. It was a, it was a little oh, okay. under six six years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. But it was it yeah. was like I you know I I I grew I grew up there. I, I walked into that place as a social worker who liked turtles, and I left as somebody who had learned 
so much, so many difficult lessons through osmosis and, and through just kind of seeing things crash and burn around me. By the time I was in there, I, I know also I'm smart enough to know that it was too late by the time I was there, really, to make any real difference. Mm-hmm. I know that I helped people and I had meaningful relationships, but uh, I was able to see kind of what can happen at an individual hospital when things aren't going right. Mm, yeah. And, and that's hard. You know, I've, I've been there too, where, you know, I do consults and sometimes I go into these places and I'm like, Oh man, this, this place needs a blow up. Um, <laughs> and we need to start <laughs> over. Um, but you know, sometimes you just, you just have to figure out a way to make that work. Yeah. And I, it can happen, right? Like I think like, like mental health, things are always up and down. Thing, like mental health thing. It's a roller coaster. Things are always up and down, but when you're, when you're doing well, the the downs are a little bit higher and the ups last a little bit longer. And those are the hospitals that, that usually do really well. We've talked to a couple of different episodes um, with Ed Carlson, with uh, Amy Newfield about how a lot of times in, in a lot of hospitals, the manager just is kind of de, um, the de facto, like most senior person on staff. They're not necessarily managed, uh, you know, managerial in terms of training, in terms of mentality and, and that. And so I think that really resonates with what you say about, you know, how, how effective management can be. It's, it's not that they're, you know, necessarily poor at their jobs. Some, in a lot of cases, they just haven't been given the tools to, to be successful or that it's just also not their, not their niche. It's, it's certainly not for everybody. I know it's not for me. I would be, I'm, I am a terrible manager of people. I don't want anything to do with it, but kind of going back to your scalability point too. Um, our previous social worker episode was, uh, with, um, somebody that I worked with at Tufts university. He was our social worker on staff, Eric Richmond. And he was a, I think I have the acronym LCSW. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Um, and so he was there mostly for client support, right? It's, it's university hospital, a lot of really rough situations. He wasn't really there for staff, but towards the end of my time there, he did start helping out the staff and, and the doctors more. And, and I think they really started to kind of pivot and, and learn how to, from a staff perspective, utilize a social worker. And I, I think that was a really, really important point. And he talked in our episode about, you know, we, I think we asked him, you know, how, how can we get more social workers in vet med? And one of the things that he said was you can actually split one between a few hospitals. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be your full-time social worker. They can do one or two days here sure. and one or two days there. And, and, but like, kind of like you're saying, like, you know, maybe have a lower level in a couple of different hospitals, but somebody that they report to. And, and I think that there is a model there that that could work, especially with some of those larger corporations where they have, especially in the bigger cities where there's multiple hospitals under the same umbrella in a small area, Absolutely. there's got to be a way to make that work because in my short time at Tufts, I mean, I, I remember when he kind of started, I, I had no concept of what that was or, or what that was going to look like, kind of had a preconceived notion about social work, but man, I was like blown away it, it, it the magic he could work and then kind of towards the end of my time there started to see how beneficial it was for the staff. And I, I really do think there's something there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a mandate a reporter, if, if really heavy stuff comes up, like they know what to do, but really it's just about being there to support. Like they're not necessarily on the management team. They're like, uh, I'm in a weird position to, to speak from that, but I think not being right. on the management team and, and and just kind of being a listening ear can be so important. And then they can encourage people like, hey, this sounds like this is something you're really passionate about. You know, have you talked to management? Yes, I have, but they haven't done anything. Okay, well, you know, you can't control what they do, but, you know, you should you should stop in again if this is something you really care about and make sure and, and try to tell them this way. Because I think sometimes people will say, too, I see this a lot. Uh, where people will say like, oh, well, I said something. And to them, that's a big thing. For some people, it takes a lot of courage. Sometimes, you know, as you said earlier, Jeff, like sometimes weeks of kind of mustering up the courage to go and say something. And then management doesn't mean to drop the ball, but it happens. So now what do we do? You know, and I, I can tell you as, as I'm a manager who appreciates a reminder, I'm not perfect. And sometimes I, I can like I'm here for my team and I, I love my team and I'll do whatever I can to support them. I'm, I'm fascinated by my team, but I, I may drop the ball. So a reminder is always helpful for sure. Well, why don't we take a little quick break here? We'll pay some bills and we will be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where, yes, you can order a whole gallon of chocolate milk if you want to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anthony, we, awesome. we like to, to come out of our break, our, our ad for BetterHelp. Um, asking our guests, how do they manage their own mental health? And and I realize you're probably going to have a much different, unique perspective than a lot of our guests because that's probably your mental health is probably and and your your coworkers' mental health is probably on your mind all the time. So how do you manage your own mental health? You know, I, it's it's funny. I've been a huge proponent, huge supporter of mental health services, talk therapy. It's something that I, I talk to people about all the time. When I'm doing my trainings, I tell people about the importance. But I, I wasn't actually practicing what I preach, but my organization provides uh, free sessions just for anyone who works for us, regardless of, of insurance status. And I mm-hmm. decided to to try that out myself. And I'm like, I don't really know what I'll talk about because they're asking me questions. And I'm kind of like a golden retriever and very happy to meet people <laughs> and happy to go to work and, you know, living the American dream, I suppose. And uh, I, I was filling out the questionnaire before I went to go and try out this talk therapy. And I felt kind of guilty. Like, I'm happy. Like, it's like, how often are you depressed? I'm like, well, I'm not really ever depressed. I do get scattered, though. <laughs> Remember, I said I drop the ball sometimes. So I, I met with this amazing, uh, she, she's uh, uh, an amazing clinician and we've done a few sessions and have been working on kind of all the things that I like to put on my plate because I, I'm the type of person who puts pressure on myself to accomplish things. Like, you know, oh, I, I just published a book while well, I'm worried about the next book and the articles that I write about turtles and and all the other things and, and the, the, the endangered species that I try to breed and all the stuff that I try to do. And I take on a lot and I feel like I can't even relax. Like on the weekend, I can't sit on the couch. Like I need to get up and do something or, or it's a wasted opportunity. So th- those are the big struggles for me. And I do it professionally as well. So I'll say Lyra for my mental health and being able to sit with a clinician is, is really how I take care of my, my mental health. In addition to just playing with turtles again, like any grown adult would do. <laughs> I, I'm kind of the same way where like Jeff and I do this thing where we call it a non-vet day where we don't do anything like podcast related or work related or, or anything veterinary related. We we try to force ourselves to take days to just be a person. And I, I think I struggle with it more than Jeff does because Jeff's got a, a young daughter that probably eats up all of his time, uh, even when he's trying to not have a non-vet day. Um, but for me, if, if I don't have, like, I can't just be lazy anymore. I remember when I was like, right after college, I was able to just yeah. be a lazy bum for like a day or two or a weekend. And now I have to have something planned to actually not focus on veterinary stuff, which I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm depressed or in need of like therapy, but like you, I, I struggle with that too, where like if, if I'm not doing something productive, I feel like it's a wasted opportunity. Um, and that, I think that's really important for all of us to understand is that it, it's okay to just be sit on the couch and watch TV all weekend. Just do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope to do that sometime soon. Um, but you know, it's that whole perfection. Opening days right around the corner, Dave. <laughs> I know it is. I know it is. It, it's, it's, that, it's that drive that I, I think we have as veterinary professionals that we always have to be doing something. We always have to be improving. Um, where 
like like you said, it, it's hard to like get out of that headspace and just realize that you're not perfect and you don't have to be perfect. Nobody has to be perfect. Um, and I, I feel like sometimes we do put that burden on our managers that they ha- they have to have all the answers and they have to be perfect. And I'm here to tell you guys, they don't have to be perfect. We're not perfect. They're not perfect. Mm-mm. Nobody's perfect. Okay. Trying to get out of that that headspace. <laughs> um, so let's talk about turtles. Um, I, I know you you said at the beginning you were you were nervous about being on the show because you, you're more comfortable talking about turtles. So let's talk about turtles. What what draws <laughs> you to them? Um, how did you become such an expert? Um, talk about that for a little bit. I've been obsessed with turtles since I was five years old, and I just never grew up. <laughs> so I was I grew up like you know low income housing on welfare. My family took me to the local swamp to catch turtles. And I thought it was a normal thing like fishing that people did. You either go fishing for fish or you Mm -hmm. go fishing for turtles. It's the same thing. Obviously that's not the case and it's a weird thing. I interviewed a a, a potential intern the other day who said that her dad used to take her to catch turtles. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is meant to be. You have to come and be an intern. (laughs) So, because that doesn't happen. Are you sure right? she didn't do some research and just said, "What's going to get this right, person?" Right. <laughs> Probably. I don't know though. Interns are pretty tough to get these days. There's not many of them out there. Yeah. So she doesn't oh have yeah. To I was going to say. Much. I hope. I hope she. I hope she matches at your hospital because that sounds <laughs> right. I know. I know. Totally. So yeah, I, I never grew out of it. I, I love them. You know, my entire life, I always had turtles. I, I fast forward. I'm in college and. I get a pet alligator snapping turtle to keep in my dorm room. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, but maybe I used uh, some intimidation tactics to, to get the RAs to not, to not uh, get me in trouble for having my alligator <laughs> snapper in the dorm room. And then, you know, as the internet grew and it was an, a possibility to meet, it was now a possibility to meet people around the globe who had similar interests it just was like all the information was at my fingertips and I could connect with people. And, you know, before Facebook was really big for that sort of thing, you could, you could talk to people on discussion forums and stuff. And it just took something that was always a part of my life and just threw it into hyperdrive. And uh, it's, I've never looked back. So, you know, turtles, one of, one of my good friends who's a veterinarian in New York, one of my mentors and, and great friends and one of the most important people in my life, Bill McCord, is uh, was he kind of sounded the alarm on the global turtle crisis, which was starting in China, and China with their with their growing population and their interest in traditional medicine now had this huge hunger for many animals like pangolins and and, and other things, but but especially especially turtles, and the thought in addition to food purposes, but in it was thought that some species like you could grind up the plastron or the bottom of the shell and turn that into gulen jiao, which is a, a turtle jelly that is thought to have cancer curing, cancer curing properties. And uh, mm. the then China starts acts, acts as like a vacuum. And as I'm learning about all of this as it's happening, I'm totally inspired. Like these animals that I've loved since I was since before I could remember. Uh, I, they actually need help. Like they need people to advocate for them. They need to be bred in captivity. They need to be protected in their natural environments. And I was just so inspired. And, and I'm an Enneagram type six is my personality. I'm sorry, type seven is my personality type. So I'm like, I'm Steve Irwin basically. So I want to get up on my soapbox and talk about <laughs> things that I'm passionate about, right? How great is this? How great is podcasting that that came along? So yeah. You know, a lot of people don't know, like turtles in, in the 1970s, the, the zoology textbook that was being taught to students basically compared turtles to cockroaches. Like they've been around for 200 million years. Like T-Rex was around 65 million years ago. So, you know, three times as long, mm-hmm. two and a half times as long um, and and virtually unchanged. And they'll be here long after man is gone. That's not the case, you know, with the huge uh, human population and so many cars and habitat fragmentation and degradation, they're just, they're going away. So the turtle room was built based on that. We do, we have projects in, in situ in the wild to protect species and conserve them. We do a lot of captive breeding, which is probably my forte and, and what I'm most known for or excited about. And then also education. So I do a lot of turtle talks and 
travel around uh, doing doing talks, not only on veterinary leadership topics, but also on on turtle topics as well, because I just like to talk about what I'm passionate mm. about. And do you do you have vets in your hospital that that see turtles? And you're going like to love this. Able to to work <laughs> so, on them. I've worked for three hospitals so far, and I've never worked at an exotics practice. But but because I'm part of a large organization, <laughs> there are I know isn't this hilarious? There are a lot of doctors in my organization yeah. who I know really well because they know I'm the turtle guy, and we coordinate. If they get a turtle in and they have right. questions, I can help them on husbandry yeah. stuff. You know, they help me on the medical side because I'm not I'm not a technician and I'm I'm not a obviously a doctor. So uh it's it's nice symbiotic relationship where we can help each other out with anything turtle related. Awesome. And and podcast and turtly devoted. Um I, I know two separate yeah. channels. Um talk a little bit about both of them, um, what you do with them, what you talk about, um, and we're gonna try to turn a few people on to them. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, the the podcast is is the second longest running reptile podcast. It's the longest running turtle podcast. We've been doing it for over 10 years now, which is a long time for a podcast, right? Wow. And uh, that is basically just the show where we could nerd out about turtles with other turtle experts. So kind of like where you're having, you know, amazing veterinary experts on to talk about what they're passionate about. We try to do the same thing with turtles and it's been great. Uh, totally devoted is a bit of a passion project. That's just my wife and I, and we talk about the ins and outs of our relationship and the the struggles we each have. Her being, you know, someone who's interested in interior design and and fashion and celebrity gossip, and I'm <laughs> this guy who would rather be hanging out in the swamp and has you know, 300 turtles on the property <laughs> that I'm trying to propagate and trying to get to make little baby turtles. So wow. uh, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but I tell you, it's, it's kind of like the, the work dynamic that I have with my mentor that I mentioned and other members of our leadership team. Like when you respect someone who's different than you for the amazing talents they have that you don't like life is easy, you know, they bring some, yeah, they see something different, see things differently than you. And that can be really challenging and frustrating sometimes. But I was talking, I'm, I'm a baseball fan as well. And, and someone on my team, she has a master's degree in, in biology and she loves animal conservation and she loves turtles. She worked with turtles in the wild and she's working at our hospital in like an entry level position right now because she just wanted to get into vet med and get her foot in the door. And she also loves the Yankees. And I'm like, man, I'm thinking to myself, like, it's a good thing that that my wife is not like this because we would never get anything done. We would just watch baseball all the time and play with turtles and <laughs> never accomplish anything. We'd have like the dirtiest house. Our bills wouldn't be paid and it would be a complete mess. <laughs> Uh, so how can people get involved in, in you know, you, you've got your, your podcast, your podcast, excuse me. Um, so how can people get involved and help out with turtle conservation and education and all that stuff? Uh, if they're interested in being a part of it, we do have like volunteer applica- applications. We're a totally volunteer run organization. Even, you know, the, the founder, executive director, senior director, president, vice president, everyone all volunteer. It's totally based. It's just a labor of love that, that we do because we we care. We want to make the world a better place for, for these endangered species. So people can, can volunteer their time. Everyone has something that they can do that's special. And, and that was the cool thing. I felt like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a people person and, and I'm smart. I'm college educated. Come on. Like I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't go to school for zoology or, or conservation biology, but like, can I still make a difference? And that's kind of what it was founded on. Uh, so we're always looking for help that way. And then if you if you know someone, a classroom or a, a, a Girl Scout or Cub Scout troop or what have you, or, or a library or someone who would love to have a presentation done about turtles, then please feel free to reach out and I'd love to do that. So any opportunity to speak, yeah, I, I, I would love to grow up to be, I mean, I am a, a, a speaker now, a lecturer. I do, I do these 17 hour veterinary trainings over the course of two days. And then I do a lot of turtle talks. So that's where I see myself moving to in the future and what I'm, what I'm really excited about. In addition to just becoming a better manager and a better leader and a writer, like I said, I take on too much. So <laughs> yeah. so it goes right. Um, you know, you had mentioned, um, one of your passions is uh, breeding some of these species in captivity and, and, you know, propagation and that I'm curious, is there particular species that you're really, really 
into that you're working a lot with? Um, and do you primarily do turtles versus tortoises or just kind of whatever you can, you know, get your hands on, so to speak? I want to hear more about that. Yeah, good question. It, it's, um, it's mostly, so, so you both have lived in the Northeast before, right? So you know mm-hmm. that yeah. I didn't make that up, right? Jeff, you wrote Tufts before. Yeah. And right. So, yeah. so you, yeah. you know, yeah. So you know that space, you know, land space, real estate is really expensive in the Northeast. I'm not complaining to Jeff who's in California, but uh, the, <laughs> I was going to say what? <laughs> right. But, <laughs> From a from a turtle keeping standpoint in California, you have right, free yes. sun, and and weather that usually is is a lot better for for tortoises and that sort of thing. A lot of my, it's funny that you guys are in North Carolina and California. A lot of a lot of big turtle people are in those states, uh, North Carolina because of the mm-hmm. the weather and and the laws. South Carolina too, and then also California because it's great for tortoises that sort of thing. So. For me here, it's got to make sense in terms of adult size, uh, its its endangered status, and and how well represented it is in captivity, and then uh, its its heat requirements and its care requirements, that sort of thing. So, I, uh, the first book I wrote on that rare genus of of Asian turtle is those turtles are really small. They look like a little leaf. They're like four inches long. They're the coolest little things you've ever that you've never heard about. And they're in they're an endangered species, and they're really tough to breed. And that's something that I've I've worked really hard to to try to help others with, and then also to breed a lot of myself. So a lot of these species are either things that you see like at the zoo, like spider tortoises or that sort of thing, some Asian box turtles that are like extinct in the wild, or some of the zoos don't even have them because they're so rare. Or, you know, they only have so many, you know, zoos can be a little bit bureaucratic and and they need to think about what brings people through the turnstiles and a bunch of little turtles that maybe this one looks a little different than that one. Like, how many of those do you need to keep? Like, do you need do you need to have all of the finches from from the Galapagos Islands that Darwin used to 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 discover uh, evolution? Or can you just have one that kind of tells the story? So people like me and organizations like ours kind of worry about all of the finches or in this case, all of the little turtles that people don't necessarily know about. Um, With what you're doing with, you know, breeding and captivity, I'm curious, have you had any major, maybe even small victories like, 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 uh, you know, like, yes, we actually did this. Like, these two that, you know, are really difficult and actually happened or yeah, anything yeah. Super. I mean, obviously, like super cool, like that. Uh, something real. There's a couple, like the Japanese wood turtle or Ryuku black-breasted leaf turtle. It's a national nat. It's a national natural monument in Japan since like 1975. It's never been bred by a zoo. We hatch them here. Uh, there are spider tortoises that came from Zoo Knoxville that that I hatched here that took like 12 years to raise turtles are very long lived and and some of the tortoises take a long time to, to grow to maturity. And then there's this species of, of pond turtle that from Vietnam that is extinct in the wild. So just hatching that is cool. But then also these weird, this weird genetic mutation popped out, which in the reptile world is called like morphs. It's a different color. And one of the adults look that way. So it's, it's only the third time that a turtle species has shown a genetic mutation that was not recessive. It was dominant. And it's the first time in a non-reddered slider, which are bred by the millions in in turtle farms in Louisiana alone. So just little things like that really get get me really excited. And I I understand most people would be like, okay, yeah, that's, it is what it is. But I think when there's a species (laughs) that there's only so many of, and then now because of the the effort to take care of them, we we all are animal people. So we want to care for our, our, or our pets or the animals in our charge and, and do the best we can. But when, when that actually leads to a, um, an extinct in the wild animal producing new members of that species, yeah. to me, that gets me really excited. So I know like a big one is, is cats like trap neuter release. Everyone's going to hate me for this. And I just, I just think about the poor bird species that are being like, you know, pressures being put on them by the, by the cats. And that's what I always think about. So I love cats. As I hear a cat meow yeah. in the background, I love like, Hey, don't talk about me like that. <laughs> yeah. but, 
but like <laughs> these are the things that I and again it's just a different viewpoint. So I think I think having different viewpoints and respectfully, you know, carrying those conversations is is a really special thing that I think the vet med needs more of and that I've been really excited to be a part of. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense. So and that's why I was inclined to write the, the yeah, new book sure. the, the veterinary leadership through fresh eyes because it's 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 really just kind of like some things that I've picked up along the way, things that didn't work, things that did work, and then I'm really excited about some different things that we've been able to institute because we have a larger hospital, things like that, where you can be creative and and you can you can guess wrong and it's okay. Like we hired someone to be a scribe and it didn't work out. And I loved I loved that hire. I thought I, the whole time I thought this was going to work out and it really just didn't. And now we're using a scribe service for our doctors, which is great and it's working out really well for most of them. But but we tried it, you know, and we have a a, a really great liaison program where you know, even on the ER, like you guys are, are great ER techs. We have these amazing ER doctors. You're so knowledgeable. If there's anything we could take off your plate that we can give to these liaisons so that they can kind of help be the glue person. So a sports reference, like think of the 80s Lakers, like not everybody's going to be Magic Johnson and Kareem. Like you have to have Kurt Rambis, like grabbing some rebounds, like that person who's the glue person, that role player to just hold it all together and and make sure that that things are you know, running smoothly. So things like that have been really, really exciting. So as, you know, a Steve Irwin type, I get real pumped up to tell people about it, but to be able to observe it working after having experiences (laughs) where I'm seeing things not work has, is really exciting. I went off on a tangent. No, that's that's okay. I, I was thinking the whole time. I was like, "This is what we actually advocate for all the time to yeah. to our listeners is to find your nerd." Like, yeah, yeah, and like get get into it. And that's <laughs> that that's a huge part of the reason we wanted to bring you on the show. So, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Ho- hopefully, you, you you we have we and you have inspired some some turtle nerds out there to yeah. To, dive more into their passion that's that's great absolutely um so anthony as we kind of get towards the end of our hour here is there anything that we haven't touched on today that you wanted to get out to our listeners i do have a would you rather for you guys is it too late for that oh we'll we'll get oh, we'll no, get to no, that yeah. we'll get yeah. to that in the end that's that's coming up in okay, another good. question all right so you. that's yeah. good yeah. All yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah so so no i i don't i don't think so i think just like servant leadership being there for your team and and I offer, for anyone who's interested in getting into leadership, it can be really scary. I talked about my my mentor and my cohort, and and she and many of the people on our leadership team are Enneagram Type Eights, natural leaders who need to learn to tone it down. For everybody else, just about we need to learn to get tougher. We need to learn. We need to hype ourselves up to have those difficult conversations that we need to have as professionals. And I think. What, what those type eights who naturally run towards conflict know is that conflict is how problems are solved. And even though conflict can be scary, most of the time, if you go into it with the right outlook and, and not wanting to hurt the person across the table from you, they, they end up more times than not, not being as scary. They're not, they're not as bad as, as we hype ourselves up into thinking, right? So, so understand this that holding someone accountable for their actions, and that could be as simple as saying, hey, I feel like this when, when, when this happens. So can you just be mindful of that? But holding someone accountable for their actions and helping them be successful and giving them the tools to be successful in their role are the same exact thing. And it just starts with connecting with them and just saying, hey, can we talk? Like it's that simple. And, and you don't have to be a leader to kind of, to think that way. Uh, and, and I think that that's something that I really see missing in vet med a lot. I see a lot of people avoiding the conversations that need to happen and they're not using their I statements to connect with people and they're not being proactive about what they think needs to happen or what doesn't seem right until it's ready to boil over. They don't say something. They don't say something. They don't say something. And then they say something and it's like the nasty, it comes out super nasty and aggressive and, and, and passive aggressive at times. So I think just understanding that we need to go towards the conflict. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's most people, it's me too. I've had to learn that. I'm not naturally like that, but, but I think we learn that like, you know what? Because you keep it bottled up, you keep it bottled up and then, yeah, you keep it bottled up. And then eventually you're like, ah, can't take it anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people are like that. And it doesn't just have to be leaders, yeah. but I think we yeah. all could learn from or, or benefit from just ta- changing that mind, that, that mindset to know like you're upset with the person, but you not saying anything and, and you have to say it in a tactful way. Right. But if you're, you're not saying anything, you're making it tougher for you, but you're also making it tougher for them. Mm-hmm. Like both people suffer and potentially yeah. patient care and, and the, the morale at the hospital, like everything is tied to that. And, and I think that a lot of times we don't realize it and we don't, we don't make the change that needs to happen. That's my, that's my closing piece. <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, now that you've been on the show and, and kind of been through it, I'm curious if there is somebody out there you have in mind that we should talk to, maybe a, a topic we haven't covered, if you have a an episode suggestion for us. I can't think of anything right now. Okay. I, bla- I blacked out through the whole process, <laughs> but I'm going I'm to think about that. Yeah, definitely. If you do yeah, Rich, yeah. anytime in the future, let us know. You guys are sports guys and, and Dave, your your name Dave Cowan. You should have Dave Cowens on, the one of the fifty greatest NBA players of all time. <laughs> Number eighteen, right? <laughs> right? I, I I got to hang out with him before. He was great. He called me he called me big Shut guy. Shut up, I'll really? Never forget that. Oh yeah, wow. yeah. When I was he had like a basketball camp in Massachusetts and I, I used to work at Yeah. Him. And when I heard your name, I was like, Oh my gosh, Dave, that's terrific. <laughs> When I was younger, my my older sister, she was five years old to me. She was in high school. Uh, one of her, I, I think it was her teacher or, or somebody that one of her classmates asked for her brother's autograph, and she's like, "Why do you want his autograph?" <laughs> that is awesome. He's one of the fifty greatest players of all time. Yeah, he, yeah. that's a big guy. He's bigger yeah, than me. Yeah. He's like an inch yeah. taller than me, even as an older guy. He's yeah. like, I don't know. He's like listed six nine or six ten or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and at at the time, I I was I was living in Massachusetts, so yeah. Right. It's a big deal. Right. That's why they asked for the autograph because they knew. Maybe we'll yeah, see if we can get a, Dave Towns on the show. If, if I walk <laughs> yeah. in somewhere and somebody's like an inch yeah. taller than me, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. 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 You notice and people notice. <laughs> I hear you. I'm, right. I'm only 6'6", six, six, but I definitely know what you're getting at. <laughs> yes. All right. Tall Guy Club. Yes. I love it, Jeff. I didn't realize. Here we go. Uh, all right, now it's time for your would you rather question, and then we'll get to your would you your would you rather for us. So you got to pick one, two, or th- one, two, or three. Oh, I just randomly two. Right I have three. Que- I have three questions ready, and I want you to give me right in the middle. That seems to be the one people people want. I should start putting the one that I want at the two spot. <laughs> um, okay, so would you rather have a third hand that can only high five? Or a third foot that can only tap dance. Oh my gosh, that is so funny! That's so funny. Tap dance, definitely. I want. I need to. I need to tap, improve oh, my dancing somehow. I love high fiving. Actually, it's funny. I would have chosen high five easily. My wife and I have this whole thing where, like, I love to high five her, and she doesn't like to high five me. Yeah, you know, I I I can easily high five with one of the other hands, but I can't dance. <laughs> All right, what's your what's your would you rather? Yeah, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Okay, this is a simple one. It's a vet med one and one that I think about all the time. And and since you both have so much experience with ER, I'm just and this this isn't for you now. This is just in general. Like across your whole life, you can only choose one across your whole life because we change okay. over time. Second shift or third shift? Across my whole life, third shift. Oof, second shift. Oh man. Third shift. I agree with Jeff. Third shift that that is a whole that's a whole different person that I am not. <laughs> yeah, I I did third shift for fifteen years and and eventually like the last I think maybe year and a half two years I was clinical I did second shift and I mean I liked it because it was it fit a lot better at the time but I I really miss overnights um, I, th- I think a lot of fun happens on the overnight that like a lot of people yep. you just don't get during the day it's a lot more work because there's a lot less people and it's still the same amount yeah. of job to do. Um, but I, I, and I, frankly, I loved, you know, coming home in the morning and having a beer. And while I lived in new England, like watching the snowfall and, or like going to the grocery store and getting a six pack of beer and a box of cereal and just like looking at the check stand lady who was giving me weird looks. Uh, I don't know. I, I, for, for that time in my life, I, I really liked third shift. Yeah. There you go. I've never, I've never liked overnights. Never. (laughs) I I think it it messes me up for like two days. It messes me up for like two days. Yeah, where I just yeah. don't—I don't know I what think, to do with myself. If you do it across the board, like like 
you know, if, if that's your shift, then you can go to something in the morning, go to a doctor's appointment after work. You can be at family functions on the weekend. Doesn't matter when you're working. You have to fit sleep in somewhere, which is tough to do. But second shift, I always felt like I'm waking up and then I'm work is looming and I'm ready to go at some point. And then I get out of work and I don't fall asleep right away. And now I feel like all I'm doing is working on those work days and I have no life outside yeah. of it. I still feel that way now. Like I love coming in and working later, later when I can help. My wife is probably overhearing me being like, you better not mm. go in. But I almost went in last night on the third <laughs> shift. And almost. I didn't actually, but I almost did uh, because we had some call outs because of the snow, because of storm, uh, winter storm, Anthony, by the way, which was named after me. I don't know if you know that. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. 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 Nice. Nice. The one that dumped all that <laughs> snow yeah. in California for you guys. Well, for Jeff. Yeah. So anyway, thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. I I really appreciate it. I had a a great time and I love what you're doing with the podcast. I love, I love tuning in and listening to, to episodes. So please keep it up. And thanks again for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking some time out to come by and then chat with us about all that. We really appreciate it. Um, Caffeinators, we hope you guys are doing well. um, And we will talk to you guys again soon. Bye guys. Hello, Caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.